All right. Yep. We are starting rolling here, guys. Coach Conway, Never Settle for Par. Special guest today, got an interview going on with Mr. Kai McBride. He is the CEO of Kai McBride Performance Coach. So welcome, Mr. Kai. Hey, Wade, great to be here. Great to be here. Been following you for a long time. Uh, folks in the mortgage coach community know you. I know you've been in, a, in the mortgage business uh, well before you got into coaching. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted to start off with is, is I think you've got a neat, unique perspective. I interviewed Dan Green a few weeks ago. I think you guys might have come from a similar background, if I'm not mistaken. So where, where did you, what did you do before you got in the mortgage industry? <laughs> Man, I haven't spoken to Dan Green in a couple of years. There's, there's, there's a name. Yeah, um, it was a good interview. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it, it's funny because I look young and it's an Asian thing, but I'm really a veteran of this industry. Um, I've been in this industry almost 20 years now, uh, from the be from really the get go pre crash, uh, started out as a loan originator for the first, uh, 11 years. And then I've been coaching now for the last nine. There was some overlap there in case the math didn't, you know, completely make sense. Um, I coached and I originated for a three year, three year overlap, um, 2001 was my first year and how I got in the industry, which is sort of relative to where I am today is I was actually, I was actually in the tech industry and I was doing a lot of tech work for Tim Brahim, who some people know who uh, back in the day was a great hundred million dollar producer. Yeah. yeah. Loan tool, but he was a creative loan toolbox. And let's, let's, let's not talk about volume because volume changes in different states, but let's just say he was a two to 300 unit a month producer he created the loan toolbox and, and I was in the tech industry. And when the tech industry crashed, um, there was recommendations from different people that I knew in the mortgage industry to get into the mortgage industry. And Tim's business partner, Bill Hillestead, uh, basically taught me a lot about the mortgage industry and also the loan toolbox and just started. And so I started using the loan toolbox and because I knew Tim, I would get some advice from him here and there. But, you know, the significant thing that I would say is, is that when you get into an industry where you have a good mentor, then you only know one way to do it, which is the right way to do it. And that's the reality. To learn from a business model where somebody's already doing 200, 300 units. And when I say the right way, the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest difference about people that do big production and small production is the way they manage volume and capacity and time, because that's what it's about. It's not, it's not completely about the minutia of the scripts or the individual sale, the individual loan, the individual realtor relationships. I mean, yes, it is too, but that's only 20% of it. 80% of it is the systems that you create to handle the amount of business. And for me to illustrate that vividly right now, if, if whoever's listening right now, if you're doing five loans a month, let's say, and I literally handed you a business that was doing 20 loans a month, you would crumble. You wouldn't be able to handle it. it it's what you've prayed for. How do I get a 20 loan business? But you wouldn't be able to handle the amount of leads, prospects, loans, business partner, technology, everything that comes along with it. Just like if you owned a little taco cart or a little mom and pop restaurant, and then somebody said, well, here's a chain restaurant of three restaurants 
it's yours, run it, you, you'd freak out. And, and so doing big production really is about understanding systems and a business model and learning that from the get-go. Uh, it was never really about doing a couple loans. It was never really about every realtor relationship or every file and every close. It was about building systems for capacity. And I never did less than 100 units per year either because of that, because anything you know, less than that just felt weird. It, it, it'd be like being handed a restaurant and there's only three people sitting in the corner. <laughs> you know, the mindset was, how do I, how do I fill this up? And so, um, you know, I did that. And then, uh, you know, I did up to 200, 250 loans, you know, per year for several years. Naturally would do interviews like this, would speak on stage. That then turned into people approaching me and saying, could you coach me? I would, I would, I would pay you for that. And that became a part-time thing over the next, uh, you know, for about a three year span. But I think some people like me, you get to a point where you realize my calling and my focus is a little bit more than just the transactions of, of mortgages. And, um, you know, that's where I really, you know, sort of fell in love with the idea of not just being a coach, but building a coaching company, which is, which is where I am today, really just building a coaching company. I think the first couple of years, you're a loan officer and you decide I have to build a, you know, my own mortgage business. And then same thing with me, you coach for a couple of years and you say, you know, it's time to build a coaching company and, and make it bigger, bigger than yourself. So that's my long-winded history, but man, I, I felt like it deserved a little bit of that because I'm, I'm kind of a veteran now. <laughs> it's going to go 20 years. Well, and that's what, exactly <laughs> next year, what I was looking right? for. It seems like to me, there's this kind of relationship toward, uh, I've always been interested in the entrepreneurs. And when you talk about like a tech entrepreneur, they talk so much about scalability. And I think that really applies to what you're talking about. And as I look about your models from going from a chaser to a worker, from a builder uh, that uh, you shared with the mortgage coach folks out there, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me. As a coach that's uh, relatively new in the industry for the last year and a half now coaching, seeing people at number two that don't understand what it's like from to go from a worker to a builder, they've hit the wall. They just don't realize it yet because they don't understand what the model looks like. So... Yeah, we, we don't, we're not in a sales industry where, where we're selling like a pencil and I can sell 10 pencils or I can send 10 million pencils. Like I can't just walk in one day and say, oh my gosh, I've sent 10 million pencils. I'm just going to send the order in and the factory is going to deliver it. We're in charge of delivering our own product. So let's use the restaurant as an analogy. Um, if you own a restaurant, you're in charge of two things, filling up the restaurant, but also actually uh, cooking and serving the food. And, and so a restaurant is difficult to run because the bigger you get, it requires more staff. And the more staff you have requires more systems. You can't have staff without systems. Otherwise people are just going to, you know, be, they're going to be mismanaged. They're not going to be efficient. You're not going to get the most out of your ROI and your staff. And so the same thing with loans, the difference between doing loans at 10 and doing loans at five is, is, is different because of the amount of staff involved. You know, it's the difference between having an LOA um, at six loans or at 11 loans, having a personal processor in your LOA and people that do 15, 20 loans. Um, there were times when I had an executive assistant, an LOA, a personal processor and a junior loan officer. And it's a pure volume issue, you know, and, and there's a, there's an algorithm for that. For every one loan you fund, you're going to work with between five and seven people in your, in your current pipeline. So, 
you know, to fund one loan consistently, you should carry about two active contracts, about three people shopping for a home, and then about two people, you know, two leads, two prospects that you're now collecting, you know, you're qualifying and you're pre-approving. That's about seven. It's between seven and five. And so if somebody's funding five loans a month, five loans a month, and you multiply that either to five or seven, to fund five loans a month, you have to work with between 25 and 35 people at any given time. That's not the amount of leads you need. It's just that at that very moment, at that very moment, you're following up and juggling 25 to 35 people. So to go from five loans to 10 loans, you're going from about 30 to 60 people to 20 loans. You're going to 120 people and dealing with that many people, that many follow-ups, that many conditions, you know, that many contracts, it requires manpower. And so what you thought you started this job as being a loan officer, then you become, uh, then you become a manager and then you become a team leader. <laughs> right. So the, so the progression is different. And, what I talked about in my mortgage coach interview is that people say this all the time. I want to get to the next level of my business where there's, there's literally, I figured it out. There's four levels of business models in the mortgage industry. There's a zero to five, which is generally your solo loan officer. You're six to 10 where you have some type of assistant LOA. You're 11 to 17 where you have an LOA personal processor. Okay. Maybe sometimes junior processor and then you're 18 plus where now you're talking about a marketing staff, maybe executive assistant, maybe running a branch. And at each of those four levels, the business model is completely different. And generally people get stuck at the, at the top end of that. So you're usually, you know, like you can hit four to five and sometimes you hit, you hit six and seven, but how come you can't do seven to eight consistently? Because that's at the next level business model, which requires another person, which requires more systems. And there's a lot of people, and the biggest wall is at 10. There's a lot of people that can fund 10 loans sometimes, maybe 12 loans once, maybe 13 loans once, but why not consistently double digits? Because a double digit business model is completely different than a single digit business model. And that's the biggest wall. Then once you break that barrier and you realize, hey, I've got a system, I've got a company, it's a little bit easier to go up. But even at the levels of 20 units per month, you have to become a really great leader, a really great motivational leader and uh, you know, being able to influence, motivate, keep your staff accountable. Um, it's, it's just different levels. And I don't think people see it that way because people see it as I'm a loan officer and I'm here to do loans, but it's not linear. We're not selling companies. You know, we have to deliver all the food. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, that's, but if you can keep that mindset and, and, and you know what that is coming, your focus should be on, on building that business model. That's what I say that completely. So Talk to me about the challenges as you're coaching folks out there. Uh, I know, obviously, if you got folks that own their own branch or brokers out there, maybe a little bit different model than people that are working inside of, of a company. So what? how does somebody, that, if you're coaching a loan officer that's inside of a company that's got somebody else's kind of make at the payroll for their team, so their assistant or their processor, is there ways to work through that about the system? Do you want to implement? Yeah, there are some challenges. Um, you know, I think the, the, the banking model can pose more challenges sometimes than when you own your own company or sometimes the broker model. And that's, that's not saying that one's better than the other because I know that there's this big, this big contention about what's better. But the reason why I say that is because generally in a banking model where uh, margins are more distributed um, and, you know, the, the branch is trying to 
handle the, the branch is trying to pay you net of expenses, right? And, and, and so because of that, the branches usually say, well, if you can get to a certain amount of production, I'll pay for your system. Okay, you can get to a certain amount of production, I'll pay your system. So let's just say, let's just say you make 120 basis points and they say, if you get to $3 million, I'll pay your own assistant. Now let's compare that to somebody who maybe has their own company where they're making 300, 400 basis points, right? And so they have the money along the way, okay? Now maybe mathematically, it's the same at the end. Maybe mathematically it's the same at the end, but the difference is, is that a lot of times it's a challenge because when you work for a bank, they wanna give you the assistant when you get to a certain point, so they'll say, okay, um, I need you to get the $3 million so you can get an assistance. So let's say $3 million is like a sixth loan. <laughs> so they, need, they want you to get to the next level before they can give you that relief, but you actually need the relief a little bit sooner than that. You know, right. you needed the relief at about four loans right. so you can really get to that level. It's really like usually wherever, where, wherever the incentive is, it's like the hardest point to maintain. You know, sometimes if banks would just lo like lower the incentive a little bit and hire, uh, help your loan officers hire more on the potential of where they're going, they'll actually grow into that faster. And that's my recommendation for, for management is that if you really want your loan officers to grow, you have to give them incentive at a slightly lower level. You know, it, it's generally every five. So you want to hire people like at the four mark, the eight mark, you know, the 13, 14 mark, not at the six mark, the 11th mark. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too late. So that's, that's where it could, you know, that, that's where it could be a little bit of an issue in, in, in terms of coaching different models. Obviously compensation can be an issue because um, I like situations where people are really building, building teams, personal teams. And in order to build a personal team, you have to have a good compensation model to afford the team. Otherwise you're now negotiating with, the company that you work for, for them to pay for it. And then it's the issue of, okay, well, are you, uh, even if they do pay for it, is, does the person work for you or do they work for the company? And if they work for the company, are they doing things according to the company protocol or your protocol? Right. And right. again, business is about the correct model that works and no offense to companies, but companies are designed to fund loans at a company model, at a company pay. Um, you know, more in a, a processing underwriting model, but the loan officers have their own fulfillment model too, in terms of, in terms of sales, um, client satisfaction, client retention, realtor retention. And Absolutely. so we need a little bit of a different type of interaction. Uh, we, we need a different type of focus in the employees that, that I would hire for myself versus using an employee of a company. And that's why I say there's a difference between a personal processor and using a company processor or a personal LOA versus an LOA that you share that does things in a company matter. They're not going to use your systems. They're not going to. They're not going to let you train them to say the things that that you want to say. You know, right. and the goal is to really separate yourself. And look, companies don't want to hear that. Companies want you to to sell whatever their brand is. But you know, we're out there fighting for our own business, and we have to show that not only are we the brand of the company, but we're, but we're unique and we're better than the loan officer as an individual. And so you need people that work for you that can reflect your brand, your processes as well too. So yes, it could be a challenge. Um, what I can tell you is that uh, I generally work my way around it or we figure out a way. Uh, but when I have been approached by people that work for the big banks, I usually say, I won't coach you because I won't work. 
because the bank's not going to let you with compliance. They're not going to follow it. And yeah. you just, you're just not going to make the money. And so if you, if you want everything that I coach, you're going to have to change companies first. That brings up. Um, you know, I, I do a questionnaire. I see where, I see where they're coming from. Um, I could break it down into a couple of points. For me, who I coach is I coach the entrepreneur who has not lived up to their potential. The person that wants to be an entrepreneur. In other words, why did you get into this business? Okay, that's the question. Like, wait, why did you get into this business? Why did I get into this business? If you got into this business because you saw it as an independent, autonomous way to make money and to control your destination, to, to control your, your destination and your um, uh, uh, destination is what I was, your destiny, then those are the words of an entrepreneur generally, right? And right. I, like the peop- I like working with people that have an entrepreneurial mindset. They fit me, they fit my model, they fit my philosophy. However, there are people that are in the mortgage industry, they simply just want to do loans. They see themselves as producers, they see themselves as salespeople. Those are generally the type of people that I, that I don't coach. And there's nothing wrong with them. They're great. I, a lot of them are my friends. They just, their philosophy is this. I don't want to deal with the detail, Kai. I mean, I want my company to take care of it. I don't really want to manage. I just want to do loans because this is what I do best. I create relationships. I create loans and I close clients. And I can do 20, 30 of those a month. Great. You're not my client. You're not my client. There are other coaching systems that create loan producers. I work with people that want to create business models that are interested in the autonomy, that are interested in the control and the fulfillment that comes along with that. And, and one, of the reasons, one of the reasons why is because of the mindset. Usually the people that succeed in that other philosophy, they're, you know, they're like the, it's like in sports, they're like the high scoring shooters in the NBA. You know, they're just lethal because they can shoot shot after shot, but they're not necessarily the team captain. They're not necessarily the floor leader, right? And these people, they just want to do what they do best. They're, they're the hired guns to just sling loans. And um, not a lot of people can do that, you know? And, 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 and usually people like that, um, you know, they're very, very rare and they require a certain type of coach. But I would say the majority of people that are out there are – do it for the reason why I said they wanted an autonomous, independent, you know, ownership of their business. And I want to show them the ownership in, in a way and coach them in a way that reflects that because otherwise, because if you're coaching those people in the other way, then those are the people that burn out. Does that make sense? Because they came into this business wanting the independence and autonomous, yet you're going to coach them in a, in a, in a soldier type of way. So, it's kind of a disservice when people are, are, are coached by the wrong, uh, by a coach that coaches with a different philosophy, the way that I see it. And so I'm a little, I'm, I'm picky when I interview people and I ask them that question, why did you get into this business and what do you see yourself, what do you see yourself doing? The other thing that I do is I do disc personality test people just for me to get or an idea of, <laughs> yeah. But you know, so, so here's the thing, somebody, somebody asked me this question, is there a disc personality that is, is more successful? Than others and I would say yes in the soldier method in the producer method there is a particular personality in that method that is that is going to 
yield better results. They're highly dominant, semi-extroverted, medium detail, highly dynamic, okay? But in the ownership model, in the business model, in the entrepreneur model, that's where different personalities can thrive because you're creating systems that essentially the people that you hire are going to run, you know? And, and so, you know, when I do disc testing, the only thing I ever really filter out is there are a couple of personalities that I will just flat out not work with. <laughs> and, and I see them every once in a while. And when I see them, I just really caution them and I caution myself because ultimately they're, they're uncoachable by anybody. It's not that I don't like them. They're just, I flat out tell them you're uncoachable. You're uncoachable. Uh, I've, I've seen and, it. I mean, even as a, still as a growing coach, uh, they're out there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, is that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to, um, I, I'm not here to, 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 to basically have, have people that pay my expenses. So in other words, um, just because you pay me, that doesn't satisfy me. I like to see quarterly six month progress in very significant ways. If we're not making progress, what exactly are you paying me for? Because you're not getting the ROI, right? right. And if you're not getting the ROI, am I getting the ROI on you? Because my reputation is out online. I mean, I don't like it when somebody says, oh, so wait, uh, you've been working with Christ for two years. How's your business going? Oh, it's the same. You know, <laughs> that, that doesn't help me at all. And, and nope. so I'm very particular with people and, and, and saying, are you, are you ready for this? And this is what we're going to do. And we have to make progress at every interval or, or we're just not the right fit. I'm not looking to, to churn 2000 people through my coaching program. Ideally, if I could just work with my 50 people and nobody ever leaves because everybody's always growing and never take on a new client, that would be kind of awesome. But you know, it's not reality. <laughs> I work with new people and uh, sometimes people <laughs> fall out. But yeah, know, that was one of my biggest challenges like. as a coach. Hmm? That was one of my biggest challenges as a coach is, you know, as folks have come and gone and I was learning uh, pretty quickly what you were talking about is some of the personality profiles that were difficult. Um, and people that, you know, had said that they had goals, but when you found out that they really didn't want to change, you know, well, how, how do you hope somebody that doesn't want to change? <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, in my years of coaching, my first assumption coaching was it was about the strategies. Well, the strategies is like 20%. And then, and then, and then I said, well, then it's about the systems. Okay. Well, then I realized, well, the systems, you know, maybe that's another, you know, 40%, but the majority of it where the, the other 40% lies is, is in people's mindsets and behaviors. You know, you have to put yourself in a place where you're willing to commit, you're willing to learn, you're willing to change habits. And it's such a big piece of my coaching that uh, not only do we work on those things first and as soon as possible, because they establish the, the pattern and the precedent for everything that's going to happen, you know, in the coaching relationship. And I try to warn people up front that, hey, this is, this is how it's going to be. And this is what could happen. And this is what I expect. And this is what I not expect. And, and understand you, you came to me to make the commitments. And if we start to see these signs, then it's just telling you that this isn't right for you. 
and that doesn't mean it's good or bad. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're at fault. It just means that you're not, you're not ready, at least for me. Or maybe you're ready for somebody else, but you're not ready for me. You know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the click. And so I look at a lot of people's um, – some people call me a mindset coach because I do work with people on their behaviors and the way that I look at things. I mean, I, I get people into you – know, you know, sometimes we talk about their – their health routines, their exercise routines, their family relationships. Um, you know, do I get people to meditate? Do I get people to wake up on time? And I know a lot of people say, oh, that sounds holistically hokey. And it's like, yeah, but if you look at every successful person, like successful CEOs, successful athletes, they all have some type of behavioral commitment, which then makes them great. They have a behavioral commitment, whether it's you know, whether it's the time they wake up or their, their practice routine, or like I said, the meditation, or it's like everybody's got something and, and it accounts for a huge, huge, huge amount of coaching. And um, now what's funny is that some coaches don't like to coach that, but I think that's the most fascinating part. I mean, Absolutely. I don't know about you, but, you, know, you know, realtor strategies, after I think a while, was, that gets boring. <laughs> there's an off season. Uh, I heard a story one time about off season in basketball Michael Jordan, yeah. I think it was Charles Barkley. Uh, they were doing some type of a benefit or something like that. So they were together. Barkley was really out of shape. And, of course, Jordan, yeah. that's just not who he is. And, you know, Barkley was talking to a, another basketball player, still in really good shape, you know, calling another guy out and said, he'll never be a champion like you and I are. And right there in front of him. And he's like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And he says, because you're out of shape. Because what do you mean I'm out of shape? You know, basketball season doesn't start for, you know, three months from now or whatever like that. He goes, but, you know, a champion's always on the top of their game. It's not like a season. Yeah. It's a mindset. And we yeah. come up with the exact yeah. same thing when we had our coaches summit in November. We said, what's the number one challenge loan officers are going to be facing going into 2019? And, like, they need the right mindset. So. Yeah. So here's an example of mindset that I think that I conflict with a lot of the industry right now um, and it's okay. It's a different mindset. I mean, nobody says that there has to be one way of looking at things, but there's a big movement right now in the industry and it's been happening for years. Like what is your why? What is your motivation for things? You know, is it, is it because of a childhood thing? Is it because of a, uh, you know, something that you want to accomplish? Is it, is it a philanthropic thing? And first of all, I'm not diminishing that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that there's even there's an even higher there's an even higher purpose than that, and the reason why is that most people that have defined their why, there's generally some type of destination, okay. And so if there's a destination, you're eventually going to hit the destination, and then what? Right. Right. Yeah. And so your why has to be perpetual. It has to be infinite, where there isn't a destination, okay. So somebody if somebody says well. My family is my why. Well, guess what? At some point, your family's going to grow up and they're going to go to college. So that why went away. Or, well, what about before you had the family? What was the motivation? You see how there's like a temporary basis of time, right? Or it's like, well, I wanted to do this to provide this. But there's always, there's always an end point, right? And then what? And so, but even for you to want to do that, what's the reason behind that? Okay. Like I, I would rather have somebody say to me, instead of saying to me, my family is my why to say to me, 
because in general, I care about love and I want to do things that will provide love to people for the rest of my life. That is over encompassing forever. That defines who you are, not just what you do in a temporary why make, make sense. And so guys like Jordan, listen, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm exactly Michael Jordan because that dude's a cleaner. And I like, I, I aspire to have that mindset, but, but in terms of understanding him, my, my mindset with him is we're very alpha. Okay. I'm just going to say alpha, not necessarily alpha male. You can be alpha female, but we're very alpha. And the definition of alpha is to be top dog. And it's not necessarily top dog because of ego. The way that I see it, it's the most primal set of motivation ever. It's survival. It's the mindset of you're either the hunter or you're being hunted. And anytime you're not alpha means you're in a weaker position for somebody to take you over. And it's, and it's a very, very primal state. I can tell you that it's also in my, in my culture growing up Vietnamese. And it's something that transcends beyond just temp, you know, shorter term temporary things. It defines who I am. And like I said, if you have a why, make it bigger than that. Okay, but why do you want to do it for your kid? And just keep asking why, why your why, why your why. I don't think anybody can say, well, why do you want to do that as a, as a why do you want to do this as a species do survival of fittest? I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of like the, the last thing. The only thing that, that might trump that, not me, but some people say because it's a spiritual thing. Okay, then great. Then keep going higher than that. You know, keep going higher than that. And when, and when you get to the point that, that your why is not a temporary thing, but it, def, it defines who you are, then, then, then who you are on an everyday basis matters. There is no off season for who you are. You know, okay, I like, love that, man. You know, I'll put it to, I'll put it in this way. If you do, if you do 10 loans, how would you feel about one loan? If you messed it up, don't you feel crappy? Right. Don't you feel that it really takes away from who you are as a loan officer and the reputation of the people that didn't like it and the realtor that hated you for that one loan. All right. So now look at every day of your life. And when you have that one day, you have that one week, when you have that one year, you know? And so my attitude is live every day, live every week, live every year. Like you would approach every loan that has to define the threat of who you are. And the why has to be bigger than that. You know, because like I said, there was a time, if you, you know, there was a time that you didn't have kids and there was a time that like, they're going to go away. They, they can't be your why. And even if the kids is your why, why behind that, right? And, and that's going to drive your mindset. And, and, and that's a little bit of what I coach too, just looking at people and saying, what exactly are you here for? You know, and, and when it comes to the comfort zone, again, I'm going off into a small tangent. Everybody talks about the comfort zone. They talk about, well, I want to stay in my comfort zone. You know, uh, you, you got to get out of your comfort zone. So here's the thing about the comfort zone. It's just like people's why. There's levels of comfort zone. Okay, at its lowest, lowest level. Yes, I am comfortable here sitting on my couch, eating Doritos and a burger and watching TV and I don't want it to move. At its lowest level. I'm comfortable not embarrassing myself in front of real time. I'm comfortable not public speaking at its lowest, lowest, lowest level. But at the highest level, how comfortable are you not being able to provide the dreams or the things that you talked about to your family? How comfortable are you not being able to achieve your own, your own dreams? How comfortable are you, et cetera? Probably the opposite, okay? You're probably at a high level in your discomfort zone. 
Because you know what's a lot more comfortable? Having that money. You know what's a lot more comfortable? Having that great business. You know what's a lot more comfortable? Being in shape. That's a lot more comfortable. You know, the analogy is for people that are working out. I know it's not comfortable eating that kale salad, but you know what's not comfortable? Having to wear that t-shirt when you go to the swimming pool party. Because that's at a higher level because now that's hitting your, your value system. You know, the lower level comfort is a physical comfort, but the higher level comfort is a value system. So when people talk about the comfort zone, I don't, I, I reverse it on them. I say at the higher level of your values, you are already in a discomfort zone right now. Let me take you to a place that you will love more and you'll realize that the lower level discomfort doesn't mean anything. Right. It's a great perspective. It's, it's that work with people. It, everything is just how high or how low and you got to think higher, you know, and, and you got to think higher. And, and, and so that's when I start to challenge people. They say, well, wow, I, you know, I never really thought that I could do, you know, people look at me and say, I never imagined doing 20 loans a month. I said, well, you just have to think at a higher level, you know, 10, 10 loans a month. It's a higher level, 20 loans, it's a higher level. It's, it's a higher level that you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the people around you. you owe it to your business. Let me throw you a, a curveball, but not a curveball. So you've been taking golf. Yeah. <laughs> golf is such a I try so hard but it's not my day job thank god <laughs> <laughs> tell me about how you've got to get out of your comfort level as it relates to your golf swing yeah that's really hard because you know golf is an ingrained feeling and it's it's, it's muscle memory but um you know I'll keep it really simple um it, it's it's really the mathematics of it the mathematics of it. You know, everything that you do is based on, based on mathematics. And so if I have a particular uh, muscle memory pattern, that muscle memory pattern is based on a number. So if I have swung a golf club a certain way for 10 years, right? And, you know, let's say I've done 10,000 swings. Mathematically, the only way I'm going to change that is to eventually get to 10,000 swings the new way. You know, and, and, and so when you look at change, um, you look at behaviors in business, you look at behaviors in golf, the longer you've been doing something, the longer it's going to take to change that behavior. And whether it's your golf swing or whether it's the time you wake up in the morning, you know, things don't, things don't happen overnight. Now, changing your, uh, your physical muscle memory is actually a little bit harder I think like, I'm not like a neuroscience, but I, but I think that changing, I think, I think changing your neural pathways and the way you think is actually quicker than changing your muscle memory. Okay. Um, I would agree with that as a memory, <laughs> Yeah. I'm working with I, both I, now. I, of course, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Because I think muscle memory, muscle memory, you're, there's literally physical fibers that have developed while in your brain, there's, um, there's neural pathways, but I think those neural pathways can be broken a little faster and they can be established faster at a much less rate. So you could have been doing, doing something for 10 years, but I think you can literally break that pattern in as little as 10 months, you know, um, relatively speaking. So, you know, yeah, thank God our brains aren't wired like our golf swings because it would take forever. I was literally talking to somebody, you know, yesterday about what I was working on my golf swing. And, and he says, he says, well, it looks good. I said, well, it looks good now, but like, you know, by the 17th hole, I always go back to my old swing because I've been doing that old swing for 10 years, you know, but yep. so I guess the positive point is that in, I, I think when it comes to your mind and in business, you can make the changes 
actually fairly fast if you commit to it. Yeah, so that that it. same personality or that same type of a uh, of um, ingrained um, muscle memory, if you want to count it, will work for your fa in your favor once you've made that transition. So what I get as a golf instructor, I've, I've got a student I'm coaching right now that he's had, I think he's on his third lesson, but this guy is just a beast. Um, he's been hitting yeah. like between 500 and a thousand balls a day between lessons. Yeah. So we've yeah. had about a week between lessons and I've literally seen a transition in this golf swing in by the third lesson, which sometimes it takes 15 lessons before I'll even yeah. see a, an inkling of what he's done, but it's, I use the, what I call the swing uh, bank account theory, same thing you're talking about. You deposit so many swings into this account, we've got to deposit new ones in. But what I get sometimes, it just I just don't quite get with people, is they're not understanding what it means to actually change their swing. It's like, okay, Wade, so I've, I've got this, you know, um, I'm repeating this. Now, when do I get to go back to how I was swinging before? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> think you're missing something here. <laughs> yeah, That's what you're yeah. talking about by getting to that 17th, 18th hole, getting back into your comfort zone because it's it takes a long time. I tell people you've got to do this a long enough time and you're going to do it on different levels. So just out on the range versus playing with your buddies versus playing your club championship, you're going to have to trust it on all those different levels before it becomes your new swing and you're more comfortable with it. So to some degrees, you're kind of yeah. like somebody going through 21 steps, 20 years down the road. You may still be an alcoholic. You just don't drink drinking anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities too. You know, in golf and business and in life is that one thing that I know is that no matter how I get there, I know that I want a good golf swing really badly, and I know that I want a successful business really badly, and I want a successful life really badly. And so, as long as you stay focused on that, then you're you're willing to do what it takes. Okay. So that's, in other words, that's your why, you know, I, I, I want that goal. I want that higher life and I'm, I'm committed to that. Well, next comes the how and in business and even in golf, you find a lot of people that are extremely um, committed to putting in the practice and putting in the time, but then you notice that they, they're still not progressing at a speed. So, you know, they're committed, right? You know, they have the right mindset. And they're trying, and this is where coaching and, and just life in general sometimes can get complicated. And, and I find that has to do with a little bit of the messaging in the, the messaging in their head. They haven't quite gotten it yet. Like they understand most of it, but they haven't fully gotten it. And whether it's a little bit more repetition or whether somebody just needs to tell them in a different way. That's another reason why we have what I, why I think coaching is important because they've been hearing something for the same way most of their lives. And it takes a, it takes a coach sometimes to tell it to them in a different way and say, well, maybe you never heard it. This way. It's like the comfort zone. You've been hearing comfort zone for how long? And I just, I just flipped it around on you. Well, sometimes that's what, yep. that's what a golf instructor does. They've been doing this and they say, yep. well, have you ever, you know, thought about it? Have you ever thought about it this way? I mean, I was working something on my golf swing that was taking me forever to figure out, but I wasn't fixing it because I kept hearing it the same way. And I looked at my instructor and I finally got it. And he looked at me and he said, you finally got it. Practice helps. And I said, kind of. No offense, but I went on YouTube and I had to like get the information from another instructor because I just had to hear it a little differently. 
And he goes, no, no, I respect that. He goes, how did you hear it differently? He says, well, he wanted me to use my left hand instead of my right hand. And he goes, oh yeah, that's another way to do it too. And I said, I know, but I needed to hear it that way. You know, and, and, and so in business and life, sometimes we just need to hear something in a different way, but that's why we have coaches and that's why we have people like that to work with. So we're, we're constantly trying to say to myself, look, I, I want you to, you know, way to do something. There's five ways I can say it. Let, let me try, let me try the one that you're going to get it. Right. And then we're going to go from there. Um, and then so from there, like the last is just application. Yeah. The, the last is just you now application, application of effort. I mean, you know, I have a friend who's a much better golfer than me. And when we broke it down, I realized he, he practiced three times as much as I do per week. Three times. Oh, by the way, so, so going back to, going back to your mortgage business and coaching, loan officers spend so much time doing their business. They don't spend enough time improving their business. That's, that's the business. smallest amount of time. So that's the same thing as a golfer playing all the time, but never practicing. And so you can even have a golf coach, you can play, but if you don't practice. And so if you, if you spend all your time doing loans and even if you hire a coach, but you don't do the things to improve, you don't do the exercises, you're not going to improve. And again, that system is now your personal system. You've got to work on everything. I have a, here's another example. I have a dog and um, he's one year old. And I remember training him when he was like a couple months old. And I'm starting to notice that he's kind of fallen out of some of his, you know, some of his uh, behaviors. And I, I literally told myself, I have to retrain him. You know, I, I just, I just can't try to correct him. He's a dog. So I have to put in the time to retrain him. And, and that's the time that you have to put in to retrain yourself. Beautiful, man. So segue into uh, all that beautiful mindset stuff. So love your perspective. Uh, love how you did a little bit of uh, changing of my perception of something. So if somebody is looking to, to get some of that advice from you, Kai, what will they need to do? How's it, what's a good way to get in touch with you? I've made my best effort to uh, create a website that explains what I do as best as possible. So I, I generally tell people to go to my website, uh, kaimcbride.com, K-H-A-I-M-C-B-R-I-D-E.com. And there you can uh, learn about me, what I do. And then on that website directly, you can set an appointment with me so we can have a conversation. And like I said earlier, um, I'm not trying to turn 2,000 people. I'm not trying to work with everybody. I'm trying to work with people where there's a mutual benefit, there's a mutual understanding, and there's a mutual commitment because it's your money on the line. It's my reputation on the line. And so there's not going to be a salesy type of like, okay, you know, let, you know, when can you start coaching? You worked into a car dealership. Let's have a conversation and let's figure out if we're the right fit for each other. And I generally talk to people about two, three times before we even, we even get to that point. And, and I've turned down people before, or I, or, you know, it's not about turning down. It's, it's about just saying, I don't think I'm the right person for you. Right. I don't think I'm the right person for you. And I, and I just did that last month. Um, but you know, if you want to have a conversation with me, you just want to know what I'm about, go there and uh, you know, you'll see all the links, how to click and get a hold of me. Or in addition, find it's me on Facebook. Find me on Facebook, yeah. find me on Instagram. I'm the only Kai McBride in the world, at least for a while. His name is K-H-A-I, um, by the way, guys. If you're, you know, listening to this, yeah. we don't have it out. I'll see K if I can stick a link in there. K-H-A-I, yeah. McBride, M-C-B-R-I-D-E. Yeah, find me on those two, uh, find me on those two platforms too and just friend me. Um, you can DM me, we can talk. Um, ask me questions. I mean, I give free tips all the time. I, you know, I don't charge for advice. I don't charge. I, I charge for people going into a committed coaching program, but 
You know, it's like if somebody asks you a little golf tip, you give it to them. Nobody's looking at people, well, I'll give you a golf tip if you give me $100. It's not about that. <laughs> you know? So, sure. Um, you know, we'll be fine. Right, thanks so give, much for, a little for bit more than you. Thanks so much for being so giving your time. I, I, I found him just in some of the things that he shared online as being somebody very open and approachable, and I really appreciate about you. And I found that about the other guys I've interviewed in this industry. So I, thanks so much for your time, and I look forward to uh, maybe coming to Nashville, and uh, you can come tee it up on um, on my tab. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually going to be in Nashville in the next year, so we'll talk about that too. Thanks for having me, Wade. Thanks. Good.